You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive beatniks and creative renegades who are trying to find their way in a crazy busy world, fully immerse in it, but still maintain their health and their sanity. I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess. And wow, has it been a while. I would apologize, except I don't feel like we should start our relationship off on a foundation of lies, because I'm sorry, not sorry. <laughs> no. um, it's wild. The last couple of months, I think the last time we were able to connect was in January. Uh, but I've been busy. I've been on the back end desperately trying to create a community of healthy sensitives. And, you know, it's amazing. There's so many different ways to connect to people. But here's the challenge that I have. You know, a lot of times highly sensitive people tend to be highly correlated with introverts. I think about 70% of highly sensitive people are also introverts. And highly sensitive people tend to recharge or or tend to uh, like having opportunities to connect that don't have... um, like a a lot of stimulus around. And also there's a pandemic. (laughs) Well, I mean, anyway, yeah. So I've tried an absurd number of strategies and platforms. Uh, I've got to be completely honest with you. I'm not wildly enthusiastic about uh, social media platforms that are free. Uh, Not because like, ew, that's gross. I don't want to work for free. Uh, I fully subscribe to the philosophy that if you are not paying for the product, then you are the product. And I have seen in real time the outcome of that. So, you know, people that look in, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, and I do, by the way, have a Facebook group and an Instagram account. For those of you who have a really intentional and positive relationship with social media, absolutely no offense, no problemo. I'm just finding that uh, the problem with social media, it, because it's so uh, available and open, it it can make being vulnerable and uh, make real genuine connections more challenging. So having some kind of wall where it's, no, no, you're, you're going into a very specific space where you know that you will, that, that the people who were there want to be there. They didn't just sort of bumble into it. And I personally have had a lot more uh, value from online communities that I've joined that the person who created them created it solely for that purpose. So as an example, I'm a big fan of Sam Harris's Waking Up app. And he's gone through a lot of, he's taken pains to create something that adds enough value to people's lives that they would A, be willing to pay for it. And what that allows for him is an ability to Oh, how would I put it? It, it, Be creative and not worry about people coming into his community that don't actually want to be there. And I have found that in Facebook communities, I very rarely keep up with them. But I do keep up with the Waking Up app. And I do keep up with the Empowered Sensitive group. And I do keep up. I mean, these are uh, communities that I've 
gone out of my way to join and because of that have gotten a lot of value from. So how do I create something like that for my people? <laughs> uh, and I wanted to be able to offer courses through this community. I also wanted to make sure that those people who joined the community felt safe and they knew they'd be around like-minded people. Uh, I wanted it to be really affordable, cost-effective. So yeah, uh, I tried everything under the sun, I feel like. I, I spent the last three months damn near building my own, and that was a disaster. <laughs> I am not a tech person. I would love to say that I am, but I'm totally not. I finally found one though. So I have created an online community. That's what I've been up to these last few months. And if you want to join, it's it, I'm using the Mighty Network. So if you're curious about that, you can go to www.thehealthysensitive.com and click on join the community. And I am proud to report that I now have something that is streamlined. Uh, people can connect with each other. So the one I was using before the platform, the problem with it is while it was easy for me to kind of communicate content and uh, communicate content, create content and share it with people. It wasn't as easy for people to share their experiences with each other. I do have a meetup group, by the way. So for those who don't want to be on an online community, but do want to meet fellow highly sensitives, you can look me up the healthy sensitive meetup group. But I wanted to create something like that that was ongoing so that you didn't have to quote unquote show up in a very specific time and place all the time. And so I finally found one. It just took me three months to create it. And I'm really excited. And that, uh, you will be glad to know, is the end of my housekeeping. <laughs> Thank you for your patience and hanging in there with me. Okay, so today's topic, what I'm going to be talking about, you know, it, it's April. And I wanted the theme of this month to be around reframing adversity. We've all been through a really tough time and many of us are still going through a really difficult time and I didn't want to just talk about stress management I wanted to change the language around adversity highly sensitive people have a tendency it's true to uh, be more negatively affected by adversity than the average person because we feel everything more intensely so Clearly, adversity would have more of a sting. But there's a, there's a flip side to the coin. The flip side to the coin is that highly sensitive people also benefit more than the average person from self-care strategies, reframing, therapy, coaching. So while it is true that we struggle, it's also true that we are primed for resiliency. And what better time to talk about bouncing back or not even bouncing back, but really embracing our challenges, especially in today's time than right now. What better time than now? And especially, you know, because I've heard a lot of people say, God, I just can't wait for it to get back to normal or I can, you know, don't worry, it will be OK. And I'm not a fan of the optimist uh, strategy for things. If you're an optimist, lovely good for you. I just don't find optimism to have been especially helpful for me. And here's why. We are living in a small speck in a giant ocean of space. The fact that we have any measure of stability is kind of miraculous. 
And so the concept of don't worry, it will be okay, just seems outlandish and it's very difficult for me to connect to. However, what I can connect with is this idea of I will be okay, or rather I have confidence that I can handle it, whatever the it that is coming. And that's what I wanna really focus on today. This idea of reframing adversity. And I'm in today's conversation, what I want it to be about, conversation, it's just me talking, but I'm talking to you, um, is this idea of the trickster. So I don't know how many of you have heard of Elizabeth Gilbert. I speak with of her often because she's my shero. She's a writer. She wrote the book Eat, Pray, Love. And she also wrote the book Big Magic. If you're curious, you can see her TED Talk on the subject. And big magic is all about creative living, how to be comfortable living a creative life. And she came up with this this concept of the trickster. And this was her way of reframing adversity. And I'm a little bit in love with it. Um, So she she says, this is her quote, you know, better a trickster than a martyr be. Because she says in life, often when we're exposed to adversity, there's sort of two ways we can respond. One way is to be a martyr and the other is to be a trickster. Martyrs, and this is me summarizing, are the ones who say, oh my God, this is so terrible. Oh, I can't, there's no way I will get out of this. This is horrible. A trickster says, huh, this is interesting. So again, she writes, better a trickster than a martyr be. What's the difference between a martyr and a trickster, you ask? Here's a quick primer. Martyr energy is dark, solemn, macho, hierarchical, fundamentalist, austere, unforgiving, and profoundly rigid. Trickster energy is light, sly, transgender, transgressive, animus, seditious, primal, and endlessly shape-shifting. Now, what, what I find really interesting for me personally The kinds of people, I'll say fictional characters, that I admire the most tend to be some version of a shapeshifter, an alchemist, someone who's standing in the in-between. They tend to be tricksters. Uh, I will be completely honest with you right now. This is me being vulnerable. Um, And some books that I just love reading when it's my guilt reading, guilt reading, my decadence reading you know i'm not reading nonfiction. i'm sneakily putting my fiction fantasy novel behind the smart nerd book so that i can feel less of a um i don't even know what derogatory term i could use for someone that reads science fiction fantasy and romance but like i don't know it's weird to be ashamed of it i guess um but i i tend to be really enamored with as an example uh, Diana in Discovery of Witches, who was, it turns out, was not a re- an ordinary witch. She's a weaver. She's not, she's a creator of spells. Another is uh, Feyre in, oh God, Court of Thorns and Roses or anyway, but at any, she, she develops m- magical powers, but she's not one of any of the courts. She has all of the powers and so she can integrate them all together. This is trickster energy. I love magicians, I love artists, alchemists, people who are combining things together to create something new. And this actually brings me to another hero of mine, also a writer, uh, Jacob Nordby, you know, Beatitudes for the Weird. And he wrote this as his sort of manifesto for fellow weird people. 
He writes, blessed are the weird people, poets, misfits, writers, mystics, heretics, painters, and troubadours, for they teach us to see the world through different eyes. Blessed are those who embrace the intensity of life's pain and pleasure, for they shall be rewarded with uncommon ecstasy. Blessed are ye who see beauty in ugliness, for you shall transform our vision of how the world might be. Blessed are the bold and the whimsical, for their imagination shatters ancient boundaries of fear for us all. Blessed are ye who are mocked for unbridled expression and love in all its forms. Because your kind of crazy is exactly that freedom for which the world is unconsciously begging. Blessed are those who have endured breaking by life, for they are the resplendent cracks through which the light shines. This is what I'm thinking about when I think about trickster energy. <laughs> it's, you know, and even we can pull in the sort of less esoteric into this conversation too. Writers like Mark Brackett, or he's a researcher, a professor, he talks about having emotional intelligence, emotional well-being. He says, you know, people who are emotionally robust and healthy are not people who are happy all the time. They don't feel joy all the time. They feel all the things and are open to all the things all the time. And that's real trickster energy. And those are the folks that have resiliency. Those are the individuals who are able to climb out no matter what hits them. Because no matter what you throw their way, they'll forever be saying, well, that's interesting. They're the ones who grab the popcorn when something other people say, oh, that's terrible. But tricksters say, hmm, but is it though? And sometimes just to be clear, it is, you know, trickster. I'm not trying to say, let's just pull in some trickster energy to genocide. What I'm trying to say though, is for us personally, when we can create or cultivate trickster energy within us, no matter the hardships that we have to bear, we can get through it. Versus when we are the martyr, we often die of a broken heart. I'm going to go somewhere that's going to make a few of you uncomfortable. I'm totally pulling in a tarot card um, and because I like the symbolism. So hang in there. It's, I won't go too deep into this. But in the tarot deck, there, you know, every time you pull up a card, it represents something. One of them is the fool. Now, we talk about foolishness. And when we say it, this is in my experience at least, very common with HSPs. We have a terrible tendency to take ourselves a little too seriously. And that's lovely because we tend to be very self-aware or at the very least curious about ourselves. We want to explore the, the dark corners of our innermost selves. That's all well and lovely. But sometimes we forget silliness. We forget about joy in the process of sort of meandering in the dark caves of philosophy and solitary contemplation. The fool in the tarot deck represents new beginnings, having faith in the future, being inexperienced, having beginner's mind, not knowing what to expect, you know, maybe even having beginner's luck, improvisation, and believing in the universe. There's value in bringing in that fool energy. Many of us, when we talk about being foolish, there's an element of naivete involved. Oh, you silly child, you haven't felt 
real pain yet. So of course, you're, it's easy to fall in love when you're young because you're open and wild and free. You haven't felt pain. True Jedi ninjas, though, learn how to be foolish even when they have experienced pain. They are able to kind of take all of the, the hardships that they have been able to get through and synergize it, create something beautiful from it. You know, they're, to have beginner's mind is the willingness to be vulnerable. It's the willingness to, you know, again, try something new and be okay with falling on your tush. And I just wanted to bring up, you know, why might it be valuable to just be foolish and silly and, I don't know, goofy? And I, I stumbled on a TED Talk recently. Her name's Simone Geertz, and she's an inventor. She, she tells a story, and I'm going to use her words here. She says, so my toothbrush helmet, she created a toothbrush helmet. That's right. Uh, she said she wants to invent things, and she decided she was... And the title of the talk is Why You Should Invent Useless Things. And her example was a toothbrush helmet. She creates this thing, and, and when she describes it to her audience, uh, says, so my toothbrush helmet is recommended by zero out of ten dentists. And it definitely did not revolutionize the world of dentistry. But it did completely change my life. Because I finished making the toothbrush helmet three years ago, and after I finished making it, I went into my living room and I put up a camera and I filmed a seven second clip of it working. And by now, this is a pretty standard modern day fairy tale of girl posting on the internet. The internet takes the girl by storm. Thousands of men voyage into the comment section to ask for her hand in marriage. <laughs> and of course, everyone laughs. Uh, you know, she then says she ignores all of them, starts a YouTube channel, keeps on building robots. Since then, I've carved out this little niche for myself on the internet as an inventor of useless machines. Because as we all know, the easiest way to be at the top of your field is to choose a very small field. <laughs> so here's the point. We often get sort of entrenched in linear thinking. This is what we do. We are, and we live in a culture that honors linear thinking. You will pull forward, you know, we're very outcome oriented, but that's not always the best way to operate. Trickster energy is not linear. Trickster energy is experimental. Trickster energy is curious. So in this instance of, you know, Simone who invents this useless thing, she didn't say to herself, well now what will be the purpose of this? How will this get me where I need to go? In what way will this get me to that next job? How does this solve my living situation? How does this solve my relationship? She just wanted to do something because it brought her joy and it was silly and she shared it. And because she was open to whatever might happen, something did happen. But it's not that she became a millionaire because of her dentistry invention. She became an online sensation because of her quirky, quizzical, new way of looking at things. You never know, what, you know, when a lot of times when I, I'm coaching people, they, they get really frustrated. They assume that whatever they're doing is a waste of time if they didn't get the outcome they anticipated. I looked up a new living arrangement and it didn't work out. And so therefore it was a waste of time. I looked up a new 
graduate school and it didn't pan out so now it's a waste of time. I applied to all of these jobs and I didn't get any bounce back so it was a waste of time. Not true. At the very least, trying something that doesn't work is a fabulous way of eliminating things that don't work. As I think it was Thomas Edison who invented the light bulb? Question mark. He's quoted, you know, evidently he created 999, you know, false, there were a bunch of false attempts before he created the light bulb. And he was asked, how, how did you stay so focused on this thing? I mean, you failed 999 times before you made the real thing. Talk about perseverance. I mean, dang. And he chuckled and said, no, I didn't fail to make a light bulb 999 times. I successfully found 999 ways not to make a light bulb. You know, we don't think when we're looking for our keys that, oh, I checked this drawer and so therefore and it, my keys weren't there and now that was a waste of time. No, it wasn't. Now you know where your keys aren't. And it's only by virtue of doing that that you eventually, by process of elimination, find your keys. So being open and having that sort of trickster style about you in a world like the tricksters for example in this pandemic who have been wildly you know who have who've, who've stayed afloat are the ones who have pivoted quickly you know there's an example in alameda california a, a toy store and they as soon as the pandemic hit a number of stores just closed down they didn't know what to do but this one they immediately pivoted and they created like a curbside uh, window display where every day they would display different toys. And all you'd have to do is contact them and somebody would bring it out to you curbside style. A toy store, you know, some restaurants went out of business and some pivoted. They got creative about new ways of getting food to people. And some of those restaurants, by the way, have maintained uh, elements of the things that the pandemic forced them into. As an example, when you put your name down for a table, it's now the case that you can leave the restaurant. And I know a number of restaurants are already doing this, but more of them now are letting you leave and they'll just text you. You can just hang out in your car. You don't have to be constantly sitting in the waiting area of the restaurant. That's neat. Adversity forces us to get creative. It forces us to try new things. And tricksters embrace that. Tricksters are surfers. Tricksters are not the ones who are going to look at a giant wave and think, oh, no. They're the ones who are going to grab their surfboard and say, all right, let's flip and go, boys. <laughs> like, and I will say, too, so when I say, well, what is the value of a trickster? Because many HSPs make fabulous tricksters. But the question I get asked is, yeah, but isn't it a little selfish? I mean, I want to help people. I want to be a part of serving others. And how are tricksters helpful to other people? Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the hero's journey, uh, but this is, many people are, and, and the phases of, this is sort of the classic arc of some of the most epic tales, whether it's Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, you name it. There's an ordinary, the character that you are looking at has, is living in an ordinary world. There's a call to adventure. They have to cross the first threshold. There are trials, friends, and foes. There's a magical mentor or the mentor with supernatural aid. Then there's the dragon's lair, moment of despair, the ultimate treasure, homeward bound and rebirth and the champion's return. 
The one I want to focus on here is that fifth one, the magical mentor. Every hero's journey has a magical mentor. Every magical mentor is a trickster without fail. And highly sensitive people make fabulous magical mentors. Because remember, in Jacob Nordby's Blessed are the Weird, he writes, poets, misfits, writers, mystics, heretics, painters, troubadours. They're the ones that embrace the intensity of life's pain and pleasure. They're rewarded with uncommon ecstasy. They see beauty in ugliness. They are mocked for their unbridled expression, but they love in all forms. These are the people who end up helping heroes. Highly sensitive people can also be heroes, just to be clear. But when I'm thinking of being the trickster, I'm thinking of embracing your inner magical mentor. And some examples of characters that come to mind of tricksters, uh, Rafiki in The Lion King, you know, Asante San, Squash Banana. <laughs> um, there's a moment where he's sitting with Simba and Simba is staring up at the sky at his, at the ghost of his father, who's no longer with them. And he's looking melancholy and doesn't know what to do. And Rafiki takes his stick and slams across the head. And of course, Simba goes, ow, <laughs> what did you do that for? And you're just thinking he's this goofball of a monkey. But, the, but he says, well, you know, what did you learn in essence? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, God, this is, it hurts. Like, ouch. He's like, yeah, but don't worry about it. It's in the past. He's like, yeah, but it still hurts. And there's a moment where he pauses and says, yes, it's true. The past can hurt, but you can either run from it or learn from it. And so he tries to swipe Simba again, and Simba ducks. This is the trickster, Rafiki. He's the wise monkey, the advisor. And he seems like he's just this goofball. He's absurd. He's crazy. But he is also wise. He understands the absurdities of life, and he understands the bigger picture. Buddha would be another example of a trickster. You know, he's, there's a line in Buddhism where, you know, if you see the Buddha on the street, kill him. Now, obviously, it's not actually the case that people are advocating in, in Buddhism, you know, murder. But what they're trying to say is, you are your own Buddha. You know, don't look to someone else for uh, inspiration. And that's very trickster-like. It's not trying to create structure. It's trying to get you to look inside of yourself. I'm thinking of people like, you know, when I was listening to a podcast, uh, Lex Friedman, which, oh my goodness, I have the most fabulous intellectual crush on that guy. He's a curious, open-hearted person, and he's brilliant and humble. And he was having a conversation with Eric Weinstein. And at one point, they're, they're in a disagreement. They're, they're disputing something. They're in conflict. And, but the way they're in conflict is delightful. You know, because Lex at some point says, you know, I, I'm sorry, I have to disagree with you on that. And Eric says, oh, good, let's have a disagreement. And it's genuine joy and excitement. Like, oh, I can't wait to have a disagreement with you. That's trickster. You know, these are intellectual titans who aren't balking from each other's different points of view, but are excited by it. Uh, other examples are Sean Aker, positive psychologist who wrote The Happiness Advantage. Todd Kashten, who wrote the book Curious. 
think Mr. Miyagi, you know, oh, show me paint the fence. And it seems absurd to just be spending all that time painting a fence. And then it turns out he was teaching him karate all along. Um, Dave Chappelle would be an example of a trickster. He's able to touch on subjects that are extraordinarily difficult, but he does it with humor. And he forces us to look at something we might not otherwise be able to look at. Trevor Noah is similar in that way. Um, think Joseph Heller, author of Catch-22. Obviously, Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, Emily Wapnick, she talks about multi-potentialism. She makes mention of the fact that, you know, we're kids and we're asked, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she makes a case for folks that want to be all kinds of things, and that's okay. Andy Mort, who has, uh, he has a podcast called um, the, wow, what is going on? The Gentle Rebel. He had, it was called something else before that. but And it's for highly sensitive, creative people. Um, Glennon Doyle is an author that I adore. These are tricksters. These are people who look at the world slightly differently. And when they share their version of the world with us, we get something extraordinarily valuable from it. Here's the challenge for tricksters, though, or at least for highly sensitive people who might want to be a trickster. Or at least in my experience, this has been their challenge. Perfectionism. We are conscientious little beings. We want to do things and we want to do them correctly. We want to do them right. We want to make sure we don't hurt anyone's feelings. We want to make sure that we don't get criticized. In the, you know, people who talk about how to, you know, how do you deal with this? Um, Brene Brown is, of course, one of my favorite researchers. And she wrote the book, The Gifts of Imperfection. And she constantly is stressing the fact that Trapping ourselves in a desire to be perfect is really about trying to keep ourselves from being vulnerable. And, you know, a quote that embodies this perfectly is uh, from Harry Truman. Imperfect action will always be better than perfect planning. And, well, why is that? Because if you're willing to go out and experiment and try something, you're going to be in a better situation than if you tried nothing. So many people I know, well, they would rather research on the internet all of their problems for eight hours. And they will tell me with painstaking detail all of their woes. They will tell me exactly the kind of anxiety they're suffering from. They will tell me exactly the kind of relationship challenges they're going through. They will tell me precisely what is wrong with their job, with their boss. They will spend hours researching weight management, stress management, how to get out of their situation. And they will tell me all the reasons why they can't make enough, they can't take the next step, rather than to spend one hour doing something about it. And I'm not saying this in a way to say, oh, this means you're a weak person. We all do this. I have done this. I have done this when, when it came to sleep, when it came to you know climbing out of my own cycle of anxiety and depression. I did this with, as I've been doing this as it relates to creating a community. I've got to tell you guys, I know so much about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I've read the books. I've, I've read books on creating community. Everything from the woo-woo to the entrepreneurial to the, you name it. I can tell you all the things and I know that I can tell you all the things because people who I know who have tried to create businesses or communities have been successful 
by taking some of either my advice or from the books that I've shared with them, they've gone out and done the thing. So I know things, but for years, I just wasn't doing it. I was creating content. I was creating blogs and podcasts and I love doing those things. So I'm not saying that that's bad, but all this time I've been scared to just really create a community because creating a community is messy. It's hard. What if I do something wrong? What if I make a mistake? What if I create this community and people don't like it? I do this and I was going to wait until it was perfect. I mean, it took me three months to get up the nerve. Three months. That's why I wasn't podcasting or blogging because I was desperately trying to make something that I would be proud to share and I wasn't going to share it, damn it, until it was absolutely perfect. And I had a class for every month and I had all the things. And then I realized I'm not walking my talk. I'm hiding. I'm hiding behind my content rather than creating a space for other people to connect with each other. And that's what it's really supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about, uh, at least for me, that this is me sharing my, my, I don't know, hero's journey or me trying to get in touch with my inner trickster. It's like, why am I so scared? What's the worst that happens? I create something and people show up and they don't like it. So what? It's online. Who, look, what are they going to do? Track me down, come to my address, bang on the door and yell at me? And even if they did that, who cares? Why is this such a problem? Why not just try something? Because what I'm, because really my purpose, the thing I'm ultimately trying to achieve is helping to bring fellow highly sensitive people together. So to learn practices, like to cultivate health practices, you know, healthy in terms of physical health, emotional health, relational health, occupational health, feeling like they have all of these things, you know, helping people to create habits and routines so that highly sensitive people can better self-regulate, they can better communicate, and they can better create, create lives that they want for themselves, create careers, create poetry or paintings or books or whatever, because we do have so much to give. And I spent a long time feeling like I was alone, like I was weird and not in a good way, my friends. And so what I'm trying to do really is connect other people so that they feel less alone. And I'm trying to figure out how to facilitate that space in a way that's sustainable, sustainable for myself in terms of how I, in terms of my finances, in terms of my energy. And it's messy and I don't have it perfect, but I'm trying. And it's taken me, I've been, I've started this podcast, what, five years ago? I've had a, a website up for five years and I'm only now really finally getting comfortable enough to invite people in to have meetup groups and say, hey folks, here's a meetup group. And let me tell you something. When I first started a meetup group, I called it Curiosiverts and it didn't go very well. I, I, no, no, I even had a highly sensitive group in the Bay Area and I tried to have a brunch, but it was the Bay Area, folks. It's busy in the Bay Area. No matter where you go for brunch, it's going to be loud and banging. And these poor, highly sensitive people who were trying to support me and support each other were having to deal with plates changing against each other and people banging their coffee cups at the tables. It was not good. It was so not good. They hung in there with me because they were good humans, but it was real bad. <laughs> and 
I didn't want to keep doing that to people. So I stopped. And I've and then I tried Curiosiverts because I thought maybe I just shouldn't bring together highly sensitive people. Maybe let's try bringing together philosophers. And that was fine and it went well, but it's like that wasn't quite it either. But I tried. And more recently, I've created the Healthy Sensitive Meetup group. And, it, you know, it's free. People who go on to meetup can just, they can come in or not. And it's online so people can show up or, and they can just bloop, go right on out if they don't want to be there. And it's lovely. People connect with each other and they connect with me. And it's not perfect. Oh, no. I, oh, how funny. <laughs> Speaking of imperfect, there's a little ding on my recording of a podcast. Um. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It needs to, but it's going to get better and better and better. And I, I'm going to figure out how to dance with this thing. I'm sharing all of this with you to give you an example of what it can look like to be willing to combat perfectionism, to be willing to put yourself out there. Because again, the worst that's going to happen to you is people don't like what you do. And if I keep getting feedback from folks that say, this is not good, please don't do this anymore. Or they'll probably give me feedback by not showing up. And then, you know what that was? That was me looking in the drawer for my keys and not finding them there. And now I know what not to do. It's scary. It's hard. It's, God, more than scary and hard. It's, it's well, it's me being vulnerable. So if you are worried about taking that next step in whatever you're trying to do, whether it's trying to figure out that next job, trying to figure out how to get out of a relationship that's not working, trying to figure out how to write that book you've always been wanting to write, whatever it is you're trying to do, you know, trying to navigate a pandemic, trying to parent your kids, and it's hard and it's messy, keep going. You know, it, it's supposed to be messy. This is the process. It's okay. Be the trickster. Be the Yoda. Be the Miyagi. You know, not the one who's trying to be perfect. The one who's trying to be interesting. And if you can do that and do it well, doing it well, as far as I'm concerned, is, you know, you can, it doesn't have to be so serious. For me, I think I started to let loose and be willing to share and open up when I was willing to be silly. And this isn't just fun and sissy la la airy fairy stuff. This is in the research. You know, people like Brian Sexton, who specializes in uh, resiliency, he talks about how cultivating humor provides us with a sense of resilience. Sophie Scott, a neuroscientist, uh, has a TED talk on why we should laugh more because laughter helps us mentally, emotionally, it gives us a release. So if you're going to go out there and try and combat your perfectionism, one of the best weapons you can have in your arsenal is silliness. You know, if you're going out there and you're trying to go roller skating and you're falling on your butt, laugh. Enjoy the fact that you just did a thing that was absurd and silly. Oh man, your butt hurts, but hey, it was worth it. And here's the challenge I'm going to have for you, because as we record this, it is April 1st. That's right, folks. April Fool's Day. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of playing tricks on other people, but I like the spirit of silliness. I like the spirit of doing something that surprises people. So for this challenge that I'm going to present to you, I want you to think about what is something 
silly you can gift yourself with? How might you insert more humor into your world just for today or tomorrow or whenever, whenever you hear this, for no other reason than that it's interesting? You know, can you get yourself a silly little thing that no, you don't need, but why not? Can you try something new? Will you be willing to go and dare greatly in one tiny little area? Do something goofy. What's a, or maybe watch something goofy. You know, go on YouTube and look at goofy, you know, videos just because it makes you laugh. Take some of that trickster energy, this April Fool's, and be willing to be the silly fool, the naive, you know, youth who goes out and is comfortable with having beginner's mind. That's my challenge for you. And of course, if you are interested in joining me at the Healthy Sensitive Network, you can find me at www.thehealthysensitive.com. Just click on join the community and you'll find the link. It's pretty easy to join and I'm having a blast over there. And if there's anything, any questions that you have, uh, also just so you know, it, it does have a paywall, but you get a, the first month free, so you're welcome to cancel at any time. And if you don't really wanna join an online community, but you're interested in just coming to one of our meetups, if you go to meetup.com and you look up the Healthy Sensitives group, you will, should be able to find me. If you have any problems with that though, you can send me an email, Leah at thehealthysensitive.com. That's L-E-A-H dot, wait a minute, dot, not dot. L-E-A-H at, at sign, thehealthysensitive.com. And that, my dear friends, is it. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for hanging in there with a three-month pause. I can't believe it's been three months. Uh, I can't wait. I've got a whole bunch of content. I've got all kinds of podcast subjects that are coming down the pipeline. Um, and yeah, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Happy Fool's Day. <laughs> Bye. Bye.